So often, Divine Spirit, we feel as if we are abiding in the parched places of our personal wildernesses. We long to be like trees planted by streams of water, sending out roots to all we can touch and yielding fruit in season. But our fears, our anxieties, and our doubts hold us back from becoming the people we would like to be. Yet in spite of our shortcomings, you are a blessing, God. You promise realms of heaven to the poor, food to the hungry, joy to those who weep, and acceptance to the forsaken. You inspire us to embrace high standards in our daily living and to seek those values which enhance life rather than destroy life. Yes, there are times, loving Creator, when we need to be reminded of your promises to us. We need to be reminded that you created us and formed us and that you call each one of us by name. You have claimed us as your children. We are your own. We are precious in your sight. For your promises and many blessings, we lift our praise and our thanksgiving. In you alone, we place our trust. Fill us with your loving presence. Grant us patience in all that we endure, that we may follow you more closely. Give heart to those who are low in spirit. Teach us to bear one another's burdens, fulfilling your gift of love. Send your Holy Spirit upon your church. Guide and uphold all who claim as your people, God of mercy, hold us all in love. Renew our hearts in dedication to your will. As your children, we are renewed, restored, and refreshed to go into the world to be witnesses to your love and presence in our lives. We go into the world to bring your healing touch to others and to share in your abiding love, a love which has endured throughout the ages. And now let us pray, as your disciples, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
The witness of scripture, the gospel according to Luke chapter six, verses 17 through 26. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch Jesus, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets.
It was part of the Sunday morning routine that just before the ministers would follow the acolytes into the sanctuary to begin worship, a very faithful church member would approach with a wry grin on his face to say the same two sentences. With the chatter and of conversation and greeting that happens in the sanctuary and in the narthex before worship started, his first sentence every Sunday was, sure is a noisy bunch of sinners this morning. <laughs> and the second sentence that always followed the first was directed to whoever was preaching that morning. And in a tone slightly less humorous, but still with a grin on his face, he would say, don't give us the whole load today. <laughs> now, we were never sure exactly what that meant, other than it was a reminder to get out on time so that he would be ahead of the other churchgoers for lunch after worship. And woe to the minister who went too long who against sound advice ended up preaching the whole load. It was always a fun exchange, and yet all humor has a touch of truth in it. Preaching the whole load is a criticism that was leveled at Jesus from time to time. According to Luke, that tendency started with his mother. She had her own two-part sermon that she sang before Jesus was born. It started out joyfully enough. Remember, my soul magnifies the Lord, who has looked with favor upon the lowliness of his servant, the mighty one who has done great things for me. God's mercy is on those who revere God and who would not be smiling to the cadences of Mary's hymn? But then she gives us the whole load. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from their perches, lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. And the people are nervously cutting their eyes at each other and checking their watches. It can be risky to preach the whole load. A little later in Luke, it is Jesus who is preaching at his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And again, it starts out optimistically enough. Reading from the scroll of Isaiah, the Bible, in other words, Jesus reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointing me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, the year of Jubilee, which is the year when all systemic inequities are healed so that no one has an advantage over another. And the crowd gathered was certain that good news applied only to them. And then Jesus gives them the whole load. You think I'm talking about you only? Let me tell you, God is big enough to care about more than you and your perspective. And to make his point, Jesus uses two examples from their past in which God helped only the foreigner and only the enemy. 
Now, this crowd was not content to cut their eyes at one another and check their watches. Instead, they get up, usher Jesus right off the chancel and right out to the edge of the cliff to give his ministry a little boost. It can be risky to preach the whole load. And then Luke tells us about today's sermon from Jesus, Luke's version of the Beatitudes. After that inauspicious ending at the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus has found his footing and he has a loyal following. And the sermon he offered to the crowds from Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon, along with the disciples, like what they hear, even if it does not make complete sense to them. It's the way Jesus delivers it. It gives them hope. Contrary to what you've been told, you're blessed even if you're poor because God has not abandoned you. You're blessed if you're hungry now, for you will be filled. You're blessed if you weep now, for you will laugh. You're blessed if people hate you and exclude you because you associate with me, for that is a sure sign that you are in league with God's prophets who have always been rejected. Now, if people weren't completely sure what Jesus meant, then he preached the whole sermon and he removed all doubt. Woe to those whose coffers are full, whose pantries have more in them than they could ever eat, who laugh their way through every day, who are admired for saying what people want to hear that confirms their own perspectives, whether or not it is reflective of God. Now, if some of this sounds a little familiar, it is because Matthew's gospel also includes some of these same ideas. It's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's sermon on the plain is briefer, edgier, contrasting those who are pronounced blessed and those who hear the word woe, what Joel Green described as the anti-Beatitudes. That sounds about right. It can be risky to preach the whole load. Well, it's okay to be honest about what Jesus says in this sermon. In one sense, it does not make sense, or it does not make conventional sense, or it does not make convenient sense. It runs so counter to predominant cultural values. And in Luke's version, we aren't even treated to what I call the softer beatitudes that Matthew includes. Remember what Matthew said? Blessed are the peacemakers. And at some level, we know the deep joy that can come when an acrimonious situation moves toward harmony and understanding. Blessed are the meek. And we think of those gentle, resilient ways of engaging others that can lower the flames of hostility and can create a better way forward. William Congreve once wrote, music hath charms to soothe the savage breast. And we know there are people whose meek ways 
can actually soothe life. Blessed are the merciful. And we think of those moments when confessions made and forgiveness granted brings healing when nothing else ever could. None of these softer beatitudes make Luke's list. And in fact, the ones he does include are sharpened. Blessed are the poor, says Luke, not just the poor in spirit. And we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't it the rich who work this world to their benefit to get even richer and then all the others simply have to serve them? Blessed are the hungry now, says Luke, and not just those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. righteousness. And we say, wait a minute, there is nothing happy about not knowing where your next meal comes from. Blessed are you who weep now, says Luke, and we can't help but think about those who know more sadness than anything, especially if they happen to be poor and hungry. Blessed are you when people hate, exclude, revile, demean you on account of the Son of Man, for you are in the good company of the great prophets over the centuries who have also been hated when they spoke up on behalf of those for whom God's heart breaks. Well, since very few people are lining up to be hated and reviled in this Facebook and idolizing culture, it's important to hear what Jesus is saying here. Being reviled or hated does not necessarily mean one is being Christ-like. For there are far too many who, in the name of Christ, do hateful, demeaning, exclusionary things. And Jesus has made it very clear what he will say to those who use his name to do disgustingly unloving things. Jesus said, you might have said my name, but I never knew you. And you never knew me. To be hated and reviled for being Christ-like is to stand up to the bully on the playground or on the internet and befriend the one who is being bullied. Is to do more than fish people out of the raging river. It's to go upstream to do something about why people are being swept into the current in the first place is to confront the easy little lies that the empowered tell themselves and to bring to everyone's attention the struggle of those who have rarely ever had any power. Jesus spoke these four challenging beatitudes in Luke before he even got to the second part of the sermon. And we can admit Jesus' sermon does not make conventional, convenient sense. But we would also proclaim that authentic, courageous faith will not ignore what Jesus preached, especially when it is risky to preach the whole load. Well, what do we do to hear Jesus' sermon? to let it work on us and through us 
which is what his sermons, his life, his way is meant to do. I think it's best to avoid drawing a line down the middle of the page, you know, like the old pros and cons exercise, and decide who it is who has blessings pronounced on them and who has woes pronounced on them. That kind of exercise can't help but lead to much self-contortion and mental hijinks as we come up with our list of who's poor enough or sad enough or hungry enough to qualify for Jesus's blessings and who is rich enough or entertained enough or satiated enough to qualify for Jesus's woes. It's better to remember that our lives live on a continuum between the revealing polarities that Jesus names. Amy Zietlow has written, we may find ourselves stretched between both categories. In both places, Jesus aims to remove any barriers to seeing God's image reflected in our lives. Poverty, hunger, tears, and being hated can distort our reflection and convince us that we are less than human. Jesus brings blessing, comfort, and hope in order to restore a sense of holy createdness. Wealth, full bellies, mirth, and the esteem of others can also distort our sense of self. Jesus calls out, whoa. And in that holy pause, we can repent and we can make room for God's presence in our lives. Jesus does not come into the world to condemn. We don't need to fear being canceled only to make room for God's love. We know that this is a direct teaching from Jesus, not a parable. But it is helpful to hear what Jesus says and then lay it alongside a consumerist culture of unlimited choice and unfettered desire that idolizes individualism and champions exceptionalism and see how Christ's way speaks to life's conventional and convenient ways. It's also very helpful to remember that Jesus is addressing compassion, which as we literally know means to suffer with, to abide with, to care for. In our days, compassion may not be on life support, but the evidence would suggest that compassion has taken a backseat to personal liberty and independence, neither of which Christ ever mentioned as being hallmarks of faith. Years ago, when riding the underground, the subway in London, when the doors would open, there would be a voice that would come over the intercom and would say, some of you might even remember this, 
Mind the gap. Mind the gap. It was a warning for all the passengers as they boarded the train or left the train that there's a gap between the car and the platform. Don't fall into it. Be careful. Mind the gap. Jesus' sermon, Jesus' compassion calls us to mind the gaps, the wealth gaps, the food gaps, the health gaps, the justice gaps. Author Alan Patton once wrote, O Lord, open my eyes that I may see the needs of others. Open my ears that I may hear their cries. Open my heart so that they need not be without succor. Let me not be afraid to defend the weak because of the anger of the strong, nor be afraid to defend the poor because of the anger of the rich. Show me where love and hope and faith are needed and use me to bring them to those places. Well, we know there is so much more to say about Luke's version of Jesus's Beatitudes. But we also know the risk of giving the whole load. But aren't you glad Jesus preached the whole sermon? <laughs>